Hey guys, welcome to Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for listening on. You could have been anywhere in the world and you decided to spend just a few moments of your precious time and we greatly appreciate it. Here on the podcast, we talk about three things, living a plant-powered lifestyle and enhancing emotional resilience and creating a thriving mindset. And I interview a range of passionate guests such as physicians, dietitians, coaches, entrepreneurs, and many more. And please join me as I deliver these engaging, informative, and high-valued conversations for you. And just remember the first five seasons of the Thrive Bites podcast can now be found in the new The Chef Doc app, available in your Apple Store and Google Play stores. So what are you waiting for? Come on inside. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zuick, the Chef Doc, and uh, we are here with another great episode. I am joined by my good friend and colleague, Bob Jones Jr. He is the co-owner and CEO of the Chef's Garden, and uh, this guy is such a pioneer in the realm of regenerative sustainable agriculture and farming. This is a beautiful conversation. If you've been hearing organic, if you've been hearing sustainable farming, if you've been hearing regenerative farming, and how that is interrelated to environmental change, climate change, and all that. And it's a beautiful, beautiful conversation. We talk about uh, many different things in terms of where the plants come from, what is soil health, what is soil diversity, and we have these wonderful conversations. And at the end of the day, is built around relationships. So you don't want to miss this, and uh, we'll see you guys inside. Okay, guys. Well, welcome to another episode of Thrive Bites Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for being here with us. You could have been anywhere in the world, and you decided to share your precious moments uh, with us today, and we are greatly, greatly appreciative of that. Today, we have a wonderful guest uh, with us today. I am very happy to call him uh, my friend, as well as a colleague in the space of farming, and not just any type of farming, but regenerative sustainable farming. And uh, it's been uh, growing, (laughs) pun intended, and gaining a lot of traction because of how it affects our climate, environment, our community, ecosystems, and how that reverberates towards the ecosystem's near and far. So his name is Bob Jones uh, Jr. He is a co-owner and CEO of the Chef's Garden. He wears many, many hats, but he focuses on regenerative practices. And uh, his goal is to be able to champion the farm's cutting edge food safety and food quality programs. And at the same time, be super, super committed and pioneering um, his efforts to grow exceptional vegetables. He's collaborated with many, many different types of culinary arts entities and organizations. He works alongside amazing uh, of his own farm's uh, professional team. And he's grateful to be able to serve as mentor in farm operations, farm food safety, packaging, shipping, employee immigration, and sustainable energy practices. And he understands the importance of fostering these kinds of relationships and and working in synchronicity and also with mutual respect. And he puts that into practice with home cooks who order fresh products from Farmer Jones Farm and chefs alike. So without further ado, please welcome Bob. Hey. <laughs> Dr. Zhu, good afternoon. How are you? Great to see you again. 
Oh, I am thrilled to see you again, Bob. Thank you so, so much for taking the time out of your busy you know, lifestyle to be able to join us here uh, today. Uh, just pleased to be able to spend some time with you. We're very passionate about what we do here at the farm and certainly finding like-minded folks to, to have that conversation around regenerative agriculture uh, is something we look forward to wherever we get the opportunity. Awesome. I've had a chance, uh, I think it's been more than a year now, a year and some change where I first heard about your farm through, uh, you know, a team of doctors that, you know, I work with. And I had the great pleasure of visiting uh, your farm. Uh, I made it all the way out, you know, to Northern Ohio and uh, visited a farm, visited your colleagues. You and your amazing team were, were so gracious and welcoming and accommodating for me to come on and be able to tour the farm, eat, you know, some of the amazing products and just kind of see how things were, you know, have been growing. And for someone that hasn't, you know, worked or grown up in a farm space that I work at, I think one of the biggest things that I would like to kind of touch upon is the fact that, you know, our individual health and where it comes from is a huge, huge gap. It's a huge disconnection. And uh, being able to kind of witness what you and your amazing team uniquely do is just very mind-blowing to me. And I think what I learned from you is that how you guys practice is probably less than 1% of all, you know, modern agricultural farms. And so, and I wish it was, you know, the majority. So I'm really happy for you to be able to share you, your family's, you know, mission and ever, you know, ever changing, uh, you know, vision with us today. Now, we certainly do appreciate you and the efforts that you have put into this and understanding it. And we're having more and more conversations with folks in the medical community You know, we used to hear a lot of times people say that you are what you eat. What we are starting to understand at a different level now is that you are what you eat, eats. And that can be said for plant or animal, depending on the preference of the consumer. But understanding that to a different level is certainly something that uh, we take very, very seriously here on the farm. We have a great team of folks that that are working together every single day to make sure that we 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 better understand natural processes. And that's really what this is. It's an evolution over time of learning and understanding that we can do a better job of, of growing nutrient-dense produce for the folks that, that we're working with. Yeah. I love it. Before we get into, you know, the weeds per se, why don't you orient the the audience in terms of the origins of the chef's garden? How did, you know, I believe this is your second generation. How did your, how did your, how did your father start all this and, or, you know, others that may have worked alongside him? Well, thank you for asking that. This is a family farm. I am, Lee and I are generation two. My father and mother started the farming operation here. Our grandparents farmed, our great-grandparents farmed. We are very blessed in that we have eight of generation three working in the business today. Mm. Uh, So that excites us. It gives us hope. The farming operation will continue long beyond us. It's not about us. My dad started growing vegetables as a hobby in high school. And then he he worked, had off the farm job and started his own farming operation. 
He built that and grew that operation to a large wholesale 1,200-acre farm in the early 80s. He was growing lots of vegetables, but he was also brokering vegetables. But it was more of a wholesale. He was selling to grocery chains, large uh, Kroger, Big Bear, Winn-Dixie, Piggly Wiggly, mostly eastern half of the U.S. That economic model and agronomic model of of modern agriculture in the United States in the early 80s, and that has continued into today, just doesn't work. It's not truly sustainable from an economic aspect or from an agronomic aspect. And that's why you're hearing more and more about regenerative agriculture. We transitioned from a large wholesale operation in the 80s into one of a roadside stand and farmer's Mm -hmm. markets. Now, farmer's markets weren't quite as popular in the mid to late 80s as they are today, mm-hmm. but it's certainly from an economic aspect, uh, the wholesale operation with large volume, very small margins, and wait for your money. Mm. Where the retail farmer's market became much smaller volume, a better margin, and it was cash. Mm-hmm. Cash is king. And So we started doing more and more of those farmer's markets into the 90s. And lo and behold, at farmer's markets, we happened to meet chefs. Mm. We met chefs that were very disappointed and disgruntled in the quality of the product that they were getting from their normal purveying chains because of the quality of the product and the age of the product. They also couldn't get very much in the way of unique and specialty items. Fresh lettuce was unique and specialty in the 90s. Now it's uh, microgreens and edible flowers and oyster leaf and things that are exotic on a culinary perspective. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that wasn't that way all along. We've just been very, very fortunate, Colin, to have developed relationships with some amazing culinarians around the country who have taught a bunch of dirt farmers about the food business. We talk a lot about here on the farm that Unfortunately, many farmers, just like ourselves, for many, many years did not understand that we were in the food business because we didn't have a direct connection to the end user. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a commodity environment and you're growing and selling into a wholesale system and you never get to talk to the folks that are consuming the food, you don't ever have the opportunity to really learn and understand what's important to them and, and what's important to our consumers is really, at the end of the day, all that's important. Chefs have been very, very consistent for 40 years that we've been selling to chefs. They wanted flavor, aesthetics, flavor, shelf life, and more flavor. <laughs> if you don't have great flavor in culinary, you don't have anything. <laughs> it just you just doesn't work. Home consumers, which we started up the home consumer model during COVID, <laughs> when the restaurants all closed, they're, they're similar and consistent. Most home consumers, what what we're hearing from the voice of the customer is that they want food that looks good, tastes good, is good for them, and is clean. Mm. So you can see the similarities, and your folks will understand, your audience will understand that. Because, you know, my dad used to say to us all the time, kids don't eat vegetables in the United States today because vegetables don't taste good. We have to figure out how to make them taste good. And that's variety, not genetic modification, but genetic selection soil health, then put good varieties in healthy soil and let those genetics express themselves. Mm -hmm. And you get great tasting tomatoes and great tasting lettuce and great tasting spinach. And kids will actually eat it because it does taste good 
They don't even need to know how healthy it is and how good for them it is. Mm -hmm. They just want to know that it tastes great. And that really has been the evolution of our farm over the last 40 years. Yeah. It's amazing. You talk about, you know, relationships and, you know, it was just almost, it almost sounds like a serendipitous moment or series of moments where you had those chefs kind of come up to those farm stands that you guys made on the roadside. And I mean, it could have gone in such a different trajectory if you didn't have that spark of conversations with those, you know, uh, chefs to be able to say like, Hey, you know, there's a increased demand of such, and we're going to meet that demand. Right. Because my understanding is that you guys come from a line of vegetable farmers as opposed to livestock farming. Absolutely. Uh, Livestock farming has only become introduced into our operation in the last couple of years when my son married his wife, and she grew up on an animal farm. But Mm -hmm. Lee and I and my father, we've only known vegetables and we've Mm -hmm. only grown vegetables. And so that's what we know. And that's what we understand. The chefs taught us the importance of of what those things, the characteristics that they're looking for. It it doesn't matter what industry you're in, whether it's in healthcare Mm -hmm. or in farming. It's so important to listen to your customers and then go about meeting and exceeding their expectations at every level possible. It's a real education. Unfortunately, that's rare today. Mm. We don't see that as much as maybe we used to. If you think about 100 years ago when our grandparents went to their neighborhood grocery store or their neighborhood market, they knew the farmer and they knew the person that ran the market and they had a great relationship. Now, they probably went three times a week yeah, because they didn't store as much food, they went more often. And today we want to go once a week, and so that model's just a little bit different. But understanding customers and then having that good relationship, it absolutely. When people ask me what is the chef's garden, it's what we grow, how we grow it, and relationships. Yeah, and the relationships at every level with the folks. Certainly, the most obvious one is the folks that are buying the produce we grow. Mm -hmm. The less obvious are the folks that work here every single day. And we have about 160 people in our farm family. Lee and I are even related to some of them, but they're Mm. all part of our family. (laughs) So it really is a family atmosphere here. Family is hugely important to us. So understanding that relationships should be win-win and mutually beneficial. Unfortunately, what we see a lot of times in business relationships, especially, is extractional relationship. One mm. person wins at the at the cost of someone else. Doesn't have to be that way, and it shouldn't be that way. Yeah, for sure. Because you know we're we're talking about something that's central for every um, human being, and that's food, right? And but unfortunately, food is economical, it's political, um, you know, it's uh, emotional, and uh, it hits home for, you know, different, you know, for for me, um, you know, I'm a, uh, you know, uh, live to eat person, and other people just eat to live, right? It's more of a practicality for them. So it's very, very interesting. We can talk about food all day long. My next question for you is really defining and teasing out some jargon. 
right? In the medical world, we have our own vocabulary and uh, a good a, a skill a good skill set to have as a, a good physician is being able to translate this type of jargon, you know, for someone to understand and understand what's going on with them. So, with that in mind, can you tell us or spell us spell us out the differences between what is considered organic? And what is considered regenerative slash sustainable? And are they the same? My understanding is that organic is the only thing that's considered legally, you know, standard and legally defined. And, you know, that actually has some sort of, I guess, standard precedence, right? But sustainable, natural, you know, regenerative, they're not as clearly defined, right? So I would love, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, number one. Number two, uh, would you be able to clarify this uh, for us and our audiences? I'll do my best at it. It is certainly confusing. There is a lot of confusion in the marketplace. There's unfortunately a lot of greenwashing going on today. Folks trying to make themselves, you know, my dad used to say, Sometimes people try and put lipstick on a pig. Well, you have to understand the difference between all of these. The simplest way that I can explain this is conventional agriculture is basically anything and everything that is allowable by EPA and FDA. That's synthetic chemistry, synthetic fertilizers, any tillage practice, uh, weed control, disease control, insect control through chemistry. Mm. We saw an amazing increase in chemistry. And I say amazing as a negative term here, mm. post-World War II. Chemistry, if you go back and look in the library, we have a library here on the farm of my dad's mm-hmm. old collections. They didn't use chemistry in agriculture in the early 1900s, even up into the 30s and 40s. And certainly back before that, they didn't use these heavy synthetic chemistries. That was only post-World War II that we saw chemistry come in. Unfortunately, if you look at the increasing in, uh, use of, of synthetic chemistry in agriculture, it mirrors the drastic increase of the health incidences we have seen in our country, and they mirror each other over the exact same time frame. Conventional. Organic is the exclusion of any synthetic input. So any man-made chemistry-based or petroleum-based input, whether that's a fertilizer uh, or a pesticide. Pesticides are a a generalization that made up of insecticides, herbicides, and fungicides. Now, organic farms use pesticides. That's one of the misnomers that's in the marketplace today. Mm. Some people will say organic farms don't use pesticides. That's not true. The pesticides that they're using are of a natural ingredient or naturally based. One of the most often used insecticides in organic agriculture, and we use it, is pyrethrin. And it's made from oils from the marigold flower. Mm. And that's a great natural insecticide. But it is an insecticide. It is classed as a pesticide. Regenerative is kind of taking the best of both worlds. Regenerative in the definition of itself is to regenerate. So how do we make the land, the soil better? How do we regenerate it? I think the easiest way, the best description I've ever seen is the paradigm shift in regenerative is understanding that we didn't inherit our land from our grandparents. Mm 
we're borrowing it from our grandchildren. Mm. And so we need to leave it in better condition than we found it. In regenerative agriculture, we talk about soil health. We talk about cover crops and rotation and fallow and, and armor on the soil and earthworm counts. Uh, good diversity of plant species yielding great diversity of biological species within the soil. The other real significant difference between organic and regenerative, the USDA's uh, National Organic Program in the U.S. is a process identification and mm. certification to that process. It talks about those things that, that are allowable and those things that are not allowable. It does not talk at all about the quality of the product that is an end result of the growing system. In mm. regenerative, we talk a lot and often about healthy soils, healthy plants, healthy people, healthy planet, all growing in the exponential positive to the same thing. We, we talk about and look at and study here soil health, plant health. We do sap analysis on plants, just like you do blood work on humans, mm. We're looking at the mineral content of the sap in the plant. That's an indicator of the health of the soil and the health of the plant. We're also looking at the mineral density, the vitamin density, the phytonutrient density of the produce grown in this regenerative system. Going back to what the consumers have told us, the voice of the customer is food that looks good, tastes good, is good for me, and is clean. Residue testing on, on product to make sure that there's nothing in that plant when it goes to the consumer. There are drastic differences between each of the styles. We have chosen to certify the farm as a regeneratively managed farm. It's a very robust system. Regenified is the process that we use. Your folk, your audience can look that up online. And it's really somewhat a third party coming in and making sure that we're doing things right here on the farm to, to regenerate the soils over time. There's also requirements in there that we're consistently improving year over year over year. Mm. Those requirements of a robust inspection for continuous improvement, unfortunately, don't exist in USDA's National Organic Program. Yeah, yeah. Hey, guys, we're going to be taking a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey guys, what's going on? This is Dr. Colin Zhu, and thank you so much for hopping on to this week's episode. Guys, it's 2024. What is your intention for this year? Who do you want to become and how do you want to feel? Some of the things that you might be you know, looking to do is to lose weight. Some of you guys want to get out of your family history and genetics and not play victim to your medical and health destiny. Well, I'm here to tell you that uh, it's very, very important to kind of look at some facts and figures. For weight loss, 71% of Americans are overweight and 40% are considered and classified as obese. And these numbers are continuously rising. A lot of these are associated with a lot of medical issues, arthritis, gallstone issues, heart disease, cholesterol, diabetes, cancer, um, and the list goes on. And also having and carrying extra weight increases your risk for COVID. 
Also, you know, in terms of chronic disease, 60% of Americans carry one chronic disease, 40% two or more. Whenever I get a patient, it's usually a laundry list of medications that they are taking at the same time. Guys, if you are looking for a different and alternative solution, I've created a solution for you guys, and that's in the form of group coaching. If you want to be coached by us, Dr. Zhu, and our team members, um, me and my team, I've set up a beautiful, beautiful 12-week, three-month program that's going to be led by your own respective group coach, also led by me, me teaching you expert classes, and we teach you on what to eat, how to shop, what recipes to go for, where to navigate the supermarket, your pantry, your kitchen, and learning all about sustainable strategies on losing weight and preventing chronic disease. So if you want to learn more, click on the link below, and we would love to set up a breakthrough call with you guys to see if we are a mutual fit. And I want to be able to cheerlead and advocate you guys and be a support for your wellness journey. So click on the link, schedule a call. We'll see you guys on the next one and enjoy the rest of this episode. Welcome back to Thrive Bites. Let's get back to the interview. Hopefully, I mean, would, would the goal be to see that one day, you know, to actually have a more formalized system? I would imagine. So it again is an evolution. I think what's the, it, this will be market driven. And what's most important to consumers is food that looks good, tastes good, and is good for you. Yeah. That's, and it's clean. It's just, mm-hmm. yes, it will. You're seeing more and more certifications. There will be a flushing out of definitions. Generative is gaining a lot of steam. When, when folks see Kiss the Ground and now Common Ground, the sequel to that, to get a better understanding of agriculture's impact on climate change yeah. and water quality, but also nutrient density. All of those things are positively impacted by regenerative agriculture. Let's talk about that a little bit more deeply. What is it about our current outputs, whether it's from nutrition or lack of nutrition from our you know, products, um, in, ter- in this case, in terms of vegetables and fruits, to the different environmental and ecosystem changes? What is it about what we're going through that is sparking more and more of a conversation to farm and, you know, hopefully to actually put into practice farming regeneratively. I think that it can be, you mentioned earlier in our conversation that food can be a lot of things, a lot of things, emotional, philosophical, political. Climate change can be all of those things as well. Mm-hmm. And they're, as you mentioned, they're dovetailed in together. You know, many farmers don't believe in climate change, mm. but you'll hear them at the coffee shop say, boy, the, the weather seems to be getting more and more extreme, but I don't believe in climate change. <laughs> it doesn't really matter, again, about the definition of it. But what we do, what we all understand is that the severity of our climate is, in fact, changing. We are seeing more and more severity to those events, whether they be droughts or floods or fires You're just seeing those things. Once they start to impact you personally, you begin to understand it at a deeper level. Mm -hmm. We are uh, 
our growing season in, in Ohio this year was about 20 days behind by the time we got to Labor Day. And the reason we were 20 days behind on our growing season was because of the, the smoke coming down out of Canada from the wildfires all summer long. Mm-hmm. We actually were, our light levels were about three weeks behind in accumulation. That was an impact that was directly related to the Canadian wildfires. It mm-hmm. directly related the maturity of the longer season crops in the field. It does impact us. Understanding it and understanding how we impact it. We're three miles from Lake Erie. Lake Erie is the shallowest of the Great Lakes. We understand, and it is really, really important to us. We are we are absolutely vested in the health of the water quality of Lake Erie. It's where we get our drinking water. We don't want to be polluting it. Yeah. So we need to understand how soil health and cover crops positively impact retention of minerals in the soil that are not leached out into the, the streams, the rivers, and the lakes. The, everything in our ecosystem is intimately connected. And us understanding that in agriculture and other industries is vitally important so that we can protect <laughs> ourselves and reverse the trends that we are seeing when when we're when you watch those films of kiss the ground and common ground it becomes painfully obvious that we need to make a change and we need to make a change relatively quickly yeah i think it was a a previous presentation whether it's from um, the documentary or i also was in person at a um a different kind of farm they were a organic farm and they were talking about how you know, they were also practicing regeneratively as well, that the soil was able to kind of, you know, when you're, when you're farming regeneratively, the soil uh, composition is different to the point where if you actually sustain a flood, it actually is able to weather it better. Uh, if that, I, 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 I don't have the exact uh, verbiage, um, but it's able to weather, you know, different types of natural disasters better and not, you know, the farm wasn't destroyed, you know, as opposed to conventional farmers, you know, their, you know, their soil wasn't able to kind of, you know, hold on to it. We talk about that as resiliency. Hmm. The farm becomes more resilient. It's a, there's a greater buffering capacity to extremes. Healthy soil and soils with with a multi-species cover crop where there's lots of living roots in the soil all the time can take more water during a heavy rain event and hold more water during a drought event. It's positive in both directions, directly related to the health of that soil. So yes, the resiliency of farms as they become more and more regenerative or sustainable that's absolutely a factor that plays in to this whole concept of regenerative and resiliency around climate change. If we look at the, the, the first place I saw that, Colin, was the Lupke farm, Chernobyl. Mm-hmm. It was the only farm that was still growing edible produce after the disaster that was Chernobyl. And the only reason that you could eat that produce was because that soil was so healthy they were early adapters of compost and cover crop. Mm. And those soils were healthy enough. Good compost is a great soil remediation technology. 
it's just typically not used because it's too cheap. Mm. There's not a lot of profit to it, but mm. it's it's wonderfully adaptive at cleaning soils, good, healthy soil compost, because you have nature's decomposers tearing down the, the toxins that are in the soil. You get right. the same thing with healthy soil. Right. Let's Let's kind of look at the horizon a little bit. And I also learned from you that I think you said, correct me if I'm wrong, I think we only have the current trends that we're on now is that we're only around 57 growing seasons, right, that we have left. Can you, you know, explain what that means, you know, for the audience and, you know, for us to understand a little bit more about regenerative, if we are not practicing majority regeneratively, where, where is this headed, right? What are the outcomes that we're going to see if we don't, you know, course change? Well, Colin, it's a, it's a very stark reminder that we're headed down a path that is not sustainable. When Kiss the Ground came out in 2020, they talked about there being 60 growing seasons left. The fastest growing acreage in the world today is desert land. In essence, we are farming soils to death. We are growing them using synthetic chemistry and creating soils that are literally void of life. That does not bode well for us. We have this looming population that we're going to be able to, going to be able to need to feed within the next 15 or 20 years. And yet two things are happening. The productivity of conventional agriculture land is continuing to drop. At the same time, the nutrient density of conventionally produced food is decreasing at an increasing rate. Mm. Both of those things are, are really alarming and things that we have to correct very quickly. Unfortunately, it's a spiral in the wrong direction. We have unhealthy soils producing unhealthy plants that are highly susceptible to diseases and insects. So we use more chemistry on them and we wonder why the health of our population is going down, mm. right? For the first time in U.S. history last year, the average life expectancy actually decreased. It had been increasing little by little over the decades, over the generations. For the first time, we saw that trend reverse. Mm -hmm. The USDA is looking at the nutrient density of food produced in this country. It is on average about 60% less nutritionally balanced than it was in 1940. And that as well. So as our soils are more and more depleted, so are the crops that are growing in them. That makes perfect sense to us. Mm -hmm. Reversing that trend as quickly as we can and positively affecting or impacting the climate while we do that. We talk about multi-species cover and living roots and plant diversity and carbon sequestration. That's as important to the climate issues as anything else that we do. Having highly dense populations of multiple species of cover is not just improving the health of the soil, we're drawing down carbon and placing it in the soil where plants actually need it. Photosynthesis is an unbelievably magical process. 
the that simple conversion of light energy to chemical energy and and converting that chemical energy to a form of energy that plants can take up what we're trying to do on the farm and what regenerative farming is all about is maximizing photosynthetic efficiency the science the white papers today tell us that plants in general are about 30% effective at photosynthesis that means we have 70% capacity that's going unrealized that's how we've gotten to where we are understanding how to reverse those trends and make that soil healthier and and maximize photosynthetic efficiency it's all about energy what we're growing and selling is energy it's just energy in a different form yeah if the energy tastes good you'll consume more of it uh, but it really is energy we're growing energy photosynthesis is taking light energy to chemical energy can put it storing that in a carrot or a beet or a a leaf of spinach or lettuce, and then our bodies consume that energy and convert that again for use in our bodies. It's a magical, natural process that we have totally screwed up in modern agriculture. Do you think it's also screwed up <laughs> to, to just put it straightforwardly? You know, because you've mentioned about the, the chemistry, right? Our synthetic chemistries, we've been, you know, inventing this since like after post-World War II. That combination and the demand for you know, animal product, right? And you said that, you know, the land, right, is devoid of nutrition. Is it also in combination where, you know, we're having less and less land to be able to grow, you know, pro uh, like actual vegetables on because the demand is either going less or there's an increased demand of, you know, animal agriculture as well? Do you think that contributes to it? I don't think the cow is the problem, Colin. So it's not the animal that's the problem. It's how we're raising the animals. It's how we're raising our food. When you're talking about that synthetic piece, we use synthetic fertilizers that require unbelievably high amounts of fossil fuels to even make. Mm. So you have a double negative. Mm. And then you put that on land that becomes less and less healthy over time. And whether it's a plant or an animal that's raised on unhealthy land, that food source, that resulting food, plant or animal, is going to be unhealthy. And then we consume the unhealthy food and we become unhealthy. Right. So it's a spiral in both directions. It can spiral negative, and we've seen that play out in our, in our world today. It can spiral positive, and that's where regenerative comes into play. So we can right. fix the problem that we have, but we ha we're, we're running out of time to be able to decide that we really have a problem. My name is Bob and I have a problem. <laughs> if, if I gave you a magic wand and, you know, what is the single most effective action that can, you know, be able to kind of course correct most effectively? Do you think it's something at legislation? Do you think it's something with, you know, consumers being, you know, all aware and then they vote with their fork? Like, what is the most effective, would you say, if I gave you a magic wand? That's a really great question. One that I've, I've thought an awful lot about. I'm not sure that I have a, a great answer for it. I believe in informed capitalism. Vote mm -hmm. with your dollar. Educate yourself about where your food comes from. People ask me all the time, so 
So I get this regenerative thing. I understand that. I understand nutrient density. How do I get that for my family? Go to your farmer's market. Go to the farmer's market closest to you. Develop a relationship. Now, don't go during the busiest time of the day and want to ask 17 questions because <laughs> this guy's making this guy or gal is making their living in a short few hours at the farmer's market. Go early, go late in the day. Most farmers that I have met are truly great stewards of the land and they're very passionate about what they do. They love to share with others about their life's work. Now, if you go two or three weeks in a row and buy product from this farmer and ask them questions and they don't invite you to their farm, run. Don't walk away, run away. Because we're all very passionate about what we do and we want you to come to the farm and see it. You came to the farm. The value of you coming to the farm Mm -hmm. was for us to be able to talk share stories, share our passions, and learn from each other. Most passionate regenerative farmers that I have ever met, 99% of them want the exact same things as their consumers want. We want to feed our families healthy, nutritious food. That's what you want as well for your family, but also for your clients. That's what your folks want. The same thing we want. Vote with your dollar. Educate yourself, vote with your dollar. I hold little hope for politicians to fix this problem. Mm. They're too worried about becoming reelected. And I don't think that our forefathers ever envisioned politics as a career. Mm. I think it was originally designed as a short-term period of service. Now, there are some great folks that have been doing it a long time. However, understanding what's in the best interest of our country sometimes gets lost along the way because they have to get reelected every time. Yeah, for sure. We have to, we have to, we can't wait for the government to fix our problems. We have to educate ourselves and then vote with our dollars. The more you understand about regenerative agriculture and the more you purchase from regeneratively managed farms, the more of them there will be. It's a great free market system. Mm-hmm. The process will work. If we support that with our dollars, it's not going to be the cheapest food that you can buy because it's not the cheapest process. We have the cheapest food in the world. We spend less as Americans per capita on food of any industrialized nation in the world. We also spend more per capita of any industrialized nation in the world on healthcare. <laughs> They're connected. We're paying for our cheap food. Yeah. It doesn't work. And that's a that's a great uh it's not an analogy. It's a it's a great contextual example, you know, especially, you know, I'm, I'm sitting across from an esteemed farmer and I work in healthcare and this is how we cross paths, right? We ask questions and we pivoted and we put, you know, the patient, uh, the patient, the consumer at the heart of the issue and we just want everyone to be their most healthy and, uh, you know, just, you know, their, their selves of just being of service. It is really disheartening, right? You've mentioned, you know, politicians and I'm sure there's a lot of great politicians, but at the end of the day, it's really about, you know, what matters at the end of the day, you know, we all live on the same planet. I think a lot of people forget about that. You know, we live on the same planet. We share these lands and how can we, you know, live and prosper together? 
right? As a community, as a global society. Bob, this has been great. I definitely want to, you know, um, close this out, be respectful of your time. What can you tell us about the chef's garden in terms of someone that's never visited before? You know, can we visit the farms? Can we, how do we get food from the farms? Like, can you explain that process? Absolutely. Thank you for asking. We would love to have your listeners come out to the farm. We're very, very passionate. Our entire team is passionate about what we've been able to build together. This is not about Lee and I. This is not about what dad started. It's, it's, it's what we have done together, assimilating an amazing team of folks over the last 50 years. But we love what we do and we love to talk about it. I, I hope that your listeners can sense that passion. I get pretty excited about that, sometimes too much. We have been and we're very fortunate to develop a great reputation in the culinary world and have chefs teach us about the food business. COVID became an opportunity for many of us to look at how we do things and how we conduct business. We were selling 100% of our produce to restaurants, and that worked very, very well until it didn't. Right. In COVID, when the restaurants closed, we had a team of 175 people here on the farm. We had product coming at us day by day by day, and we had lost the entirety of our outlet. Mm. We started Farm Market Roadside Stand, which we operate today. That's open a couple of days, Fridays and Saturdays during the winter, five days a week during the summer. Come out to the farm. You can come to the farm and pick your own. You can pick up stuff that we've already picked. We do farm tours. We're adding to the line extensions there now. We do farm fresh chicken, pork, adding beef in 24 on the, on, on the retail side. We also do home delivery. We will package our best of the season. We pick every day. And we, even in the wintertime, we're picking some amazing spinach and kale right now. It's just knock your socks off. We'll package that up and we'll ship it directly to your door. All 50 states, we will ship directly to you. And we're working with restaurants in all 50 states as well, all over the country. We've been incredibly blessed to have have developed a business relationships with culinarians and now home consumers around the country, meet trying to, to meet and exceed those expectations by growing food that looks good, tastes good, and is good for you. We'd love to have you come to the farm. We'd love to send the farm to you. Awesome. And uh, I'm guessing that, you know, uh, restaurants have picked up, picked back up after uh, a little bit after COVID. Absolutely. They're actually at a level above where they were pre-COVID now. Ah. Uh, So that's great. It's worked out well. What COVID allowed us to do was spend a lot of time in the lab and correlate our growing practices to uh, finished product quality. So we, you know, when you get lemons, you make lemonade. (laughs) And we tried to take advantage of that opportunity that presented itself. It was a scary time for all of us. Yes. But we've we've come out the other side. We've learned a few things along the way. Our goal now is to take advantage of those things that we learned to to create a better world after than it was before. For sure. And I'm really impressed by the variety and diversity of what you guys grow. And, uh, you know, we have it on our website, you know, to be able to, you know, refer people to your farm. And uh, it's just very astounding in terms of 
what you guys are able to grow. Are there any things, any new species, any new plant species that you guys will be experimenting with in 24? That's just a curiosity question for me. <laughs> sure. There's always something new. Our goal here on the farm is that 5% of the revenue comes from products that we didn't have last year. And that's a self-imposed target that we give ourselves to be constantly. So our team is constantly looking for that new and unusual item. And when I say new and unusual, that's not by GMO. That's not a new created product. It, what's new is what's old. Things like Jerusalem artichoke and oka, root beer leaf and uh, oyster plant, things that are just so unbelievably unique. Those are really attractive to those that are culinarily curious. There are other folks that are saying, oh my gosh, that's too much. I just want more comfort food. Look at the website, take a look, and we'd be glad to custom grow for you and your family. Well, our audiences are not scared because we know that, you know, from our past experts and guests, we know that, you know, the greatest positive predictor of a healthy microbiome is the diversity directly correlated with the diversity of plants in your system. So I think yours is a great beautiful option for others to um, partake in. So Bob, thank you so, so much for being here with us, taking the time out. Thanks for bringing your tractor. <laughs> I, th I think you're the first guest that, you know, brought a tractor to the show. So I'm really, really awesome to be able to see that. So, but thank you so much for you and your team, you know, for just the dedication and passion that you guys have with food. And it's just very beautiful to watch. And I hope that, you know, this becomes the norm as opposed to a trend. It becomes the norm because we all, again, live on the same planet and uh, we want to be able to eat the same healthy and nutritious food. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate the visit. It was a conversation amongst friends and I appreciate that. Thank you so, so much. Guys, thank you so much for watching another episode. If you like this, please like, comment, and subscribe. And if you feel like this was a benefit for someone else, please let them know. And until then, please say goodbye to Bob. Bye. <laughs> hey guys, we hope you enjoy that episode. If you like that, please like, comment, and subscribe. And uh, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and anywhere that you listen to your podcasts and if you felt that this was a benefit for someone else please let them know and also remember that the first five seasons 150 episodes now can be seen and heard on our new the chef doc app and don't forget to give us a five-star rating and we greatly appreciate it so and we'll see you on the next one